Hello and welcome to the Blast From Our Past podcast. We're the podcast that gives you full-on movie breakdowns, TV show reviews, and fan castings of our favorite things from when we were kids. I'm Adam. I'm John. And today we've got a ring-ting-tingly, jingle-belly, Christmassy holiday episode for you. We are going to review the 1983 film A Christmas Story, and then we're going to review it for 24 hours over and over <laughs> and over again. We are also going to review the 1966 How the Grinch Stole Christmas, the Dr. Seuss animated short and we are going to do our own fan castings of A Christmas Story as if it was being redone today. So is this episode getting you in the mood? Is this is you getting you all uh, holiday feels in, in that big old Santa belly of yours, John? I got tinsel all over. <laughs> oh, yeah. Mmm. I do love rubbing myself with tinsel and mistletoe and holly <laughs> and ivy. That'd be painful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm a weird guy. So, yes... John and Adam are here to bring you the holiday cheer. We were going to do an episode that was based around Hanukkah, but I completely forgot it was based around Hanukkah. And I was like, John, we have to have a holiday-themed episode, <laughs> so get that out of here because of my ignorance. <laughs> uh, so we'll save that one for next year. This year, though, A Christmas Story makes me very happy. This is one, probably one of, if not, is my favorite holiday film uh, maybe maybe behind like Love Actually nowadays, but that one doesn't really hit me in the nostalgia because that one's much more, neat, more more recent. But as a mm-hmm. kid, this movie was absolutely one of my favorites, uh, and it came out in 1980. Trace. What else happened in '83? Well, on a personal note, that was the year our sister was born. Eh, lame. Next. <laughs> Uh, the Billboard Top 100 of that year is a great song. Kind of a creeper song, actually, when you think about it. And that's uh, Every Breath You Take by The Police. Every breath you take and every move you make Every bond you break Every step you take I'll be watching Yeah, that's one of the classic great stalker songs of all time. Yes, it is. Oddly enough, though, guess what song it beat out for the top 100 of that year? I was thinking another another stalker song, Somebody's Watching Me by Rockwell. I was like, that's a great song. No, I think, uh, I think Rockwell was a little bit late. Yeah, it was, yeah. Okay. No, actually, Billie Jean. It beat out Billie Jean, so, yeah. which I was a little surprised by. That makes sense. Yeah, 83 Thriller album, huge. That was all over everywhere yeah. in 83. Um, the Oscar for Best Picture that for that year went to uh, the movie Terms of Endearment. The only thing notable to talk about that is that it was directed by James L. Brooks, who mm-hmm. went on to create quite possibly the most beloved cartoon series of all time. The Simpsons. But 
it's going to go down as one of the greatest TV shows of all time. Yeah. Which still is, running. Which is The Simpsons. We actually didn't say that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Still. We just assume you know this, people. Yes. Another big thing happened. Uh, that was the series series finale of the long-running TV show MASH. And it is uh, the statistics for that was that it was watched by 125 million people. Million. At the time, the U.S. population was only 203 million. Wow. So over half? Yes. Well, we're assuming that's just U.S. Uh, and finally, this is a little one I threw in for you, Adam. Uh, that year, the Pittsburgh Penguins... Fuck those guys. ...purposefully finished last... In the 83-84 season. So they could get uh, uh, Mario Lemieux. So they could get Mario Lemieux. Fuck those guys. Fuck the Penguins. I'm a Flyers fan, uh, and the Penguins are the in-state rivals, and they're better than us. (laughs) So I hate them. Adam, I forgot to tell you, this episode is also sponsored by the Pittsburgh Penguins. Oh, and I love the Pittsburgh Penguins. They're my favorite franchise of all time. Uh, I'm kidding. No, we would love sponsorship. Anybody, please give us money, and we will talk about your shit, and we will say good stuff. Astroglide, sponsor us. <laughs> yeah, please, God. Now that's a product I can get behind. <laughs> get in my behind? <laughs> hey <laughs> And that was 1983. Okay, well, let's get the, uh, the Christmas season started with a Christmas story. Christmas Story from 1983. This film was directed by Bob Clark, who did some other interesting films. Maybe most notably, right before A Christmas Story, he directed and wrote both Porky's and the second Porky's movie, (laughs) which are very different from A Christmas Story. But you kind of, you know, with the leg lamp, I kind of see where some of the parallels go with that film. Uh, He also directed Baby Geniuses from like 99 and then also Mm. it's in its sequel which those did not go over very well no but um he also is a pretty prolific writer as i mentioned he wrote the porkies both porkies films uh and he also wrote the screenplay for a christmas story this movie stars melinda dillon as our mother mother parker uh she was in close encounters a third kind Mm. she was in uh maybe that i remember most she was the mother in harry and the hendersons oh okay yeah old man parker the dad that was played by darren mcgavin who for me i remember him most as he was the father in billy madison yeah (laughs) that's what i recognize in the like 10 pretty much that came out like 10 years after this film and yeah he was uh he was the old rich dad ralphie Our main protagonist is played by Peter Billingsley. He hasn't really done too much other acting things, but he is an accomplished producer, including a bunch of different shows, and he was an executive producer on the first Iron Man movie. Hmm. So, yeah, he's doing just fine. And our narrator is Jean Shepard, who was the writer of the book that this was based off of called In God We Trust, All Others Pay Cash. Mm-hmm. So, But he has also worked on the writing of this film and the screenplay as well. So That's kind of nice that they let him uh, narrate the film. Yeah, and he had a good voice for it too. Yeah, it worked out. Mm-hmm. Very famously, this film plays on a 24-hour loop on Christmas Day every year on either something on Turner, on either TBS or TNT usually. Right. For me, I remember it being most on TNT. Mm. And it does it every year. And that started, John, that started in 1997. I I can't believe it's been like 21 years that they've been doing that. <laughs> I, I, I was a little shocked. I couldn't remember that it was that. Because I remember, you know, a time before the 24-hour Christmas story. Right. But then they've just been doing it and doing it forever. So that's, yeah. I didn't know it was the majority of my life. Which is... <laughs> What a time we live in. It's just, it's just a part of our culture now. Yeah. It was fun, but it, it you know, it, 
doesn't fit as much anymore in the world of streaming that we're doing now. Mm. <laughs> you just you can pick up and watch things whenever you want. But it was nice back in the day because you could just turn on TNT, watch bits and pieces of a Christmas story go do whatever the hell you're going to do, come back, and you could pick it up at some point, and you would eventually, you would get a whole movie. Right. And you would see, or, you know, you'd probably see the same part 20 times, but you would get the whole movie eventually in bits and pieces just from it being on that much. And it was it was fun. I, I don't know. I, I liked that gimmick about it. I, I, I've heard that actually, the, uh, I think IFC is going to do something similar with Die Hard this year. <laughs> They're going to play Die Hard for 24 I hours can, straight. That one I can get behind. Yeah. That... Makes me happy. I, I just, I for some reason that gimmick, and I'm and I don't know why they chose a Christmas story, but it just works well, and it makes me makes me, yeah, gets gets me in my feels. Mm. So we're getting into the film, and it's set. We don't really have a title card or anything, but it's set in like the 40s, I think, around the like mid 40s or maybe even the 50s. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a period piece. We hear our narrator, who is basically who is Ralphie as an adult. And he's pretty much telling us a story of his youth. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what makes, you know, some of these, this one, and, and we'll talk about it with the Grinch as well. I feel like you get a lot of narration when you're doing Christmas stories mm-hmm. or stuff like that. Because, you know, when we first hear our Christmas stories, we hear them from books. And so we hear them, you know, from our parents or our grandparents or someone reading them to us. And so I feel like they bring that trope back mm-hmm. for holiday stories. Because it hits us into like our childhood where we're hearing stories being told to us. And it just kind of makes us a little happier. That's a good way of looking at it. I also think that going back into the past, but narrating from the present, helps keep a film sort of timeless. Doesn't make it feel dated. So I think that really helped that yeah. way. Yeah, absolutely. We see Ralphie and his friends. They are outside of this like department store window setup mm-hmm. or seeing this red rider bb gun and that this is going to be the focus of the entire film ralphie is obsessed with getting this red rider bb gun and he's got all these words and i never remember what the whole thing is it's like carbon action there it is the holy grail of christmas gifts the red rider 200 shot range model air rifle it's got this thing that tells time yeah, here's the funny thing about that so uh john shepherd who wrote the book uh, is basically the book is him remembering stuff about his childhood. Here's the problem: the BB gun that he remembered was not a Daisy. Oh. Daisy never made a, an air rifle that that did all that stuff that he claims. So, but what he when he wrote the book, he said it was a Daisy one. But he just it really came down to he remembered it wrong. Mm-hmm. So they had to Daisy who you know obviously got on board for this film because it, you know their product was going to be the single focus of this had to retrofit an old air rifle to do all of the things that he said it would do in the book even though it actually belonged to a different company oh, that's, that's awesome that, that's that's smart gets yeah free plenty of free advertising so if you yourself are looking for a, a bb gun now who knows maybe they make one now for the popularity of the movie yeah. i would not be surprised if they actually did make one that did all this stuff, but uh, if you're trying to find one from from the 40s or 50s, they don't exist. Uh, similar isk story, a movie that we'll probably never actually talk about, but because uh, I mean it was, I guess it was in like the late 90s, but it doesn't really hit the nostalgic. But the film Office Space, oh yeah, great movie, hilarious, very adult movie. Mm-hmm. They used very famously they used a red swing line stapler, what Milton has on mm-hmm. his desk. 
at that time, a swing line did not make a red stapler. Oh. That was made specifically for that film. And they were like pretty much anti having this red stapler. But the director, I can't remember who it was off the top of my head, and like maybe the props guy or whatever, they were adamant about wanting, you know, this standout stapler, right. something that, that Milton was obsessed with. But Swingline agreed to make it, and then after that, sales <laughs> boomed. People wanted a red stapler, and that became their number one selling product after that. <laughs> like, actually, I have one at my desk in my office because I was at just needing to buy a couple supplies, and I was like, ooh, red stapler, I want that. <laughs> so, yeah, it is a very similar kind of thing. The people want what they can see. So. Yep. We're, uh, we kind of quickly meet Ralphie's parents at breakfast. We kind of get vibes right away about just their kind of very typical kind of mom and dad life. The mom is constantly there. Um, she's obviously a stay-at-home mother, you can tell. But she works her ass off just keeping that household together. The dad is very uh, kind of a classic 40s, 50s dad. He's I don't know, he's a little cheap. He's definitely a little hardened. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's kind of like the, oh, we're not going to go spend money on a handyman. I'm going to fix it. And every, everything in that house is jerry-rigged. Yeah. That kind of thing. Also seems like they had children very late in life because he seems way older for the he boys is, to be. She's, she's not that old, though. No, she, she yeah. doesn't seem that old, but he definitely seems to yeah. be pretty old for the boys to be the age that they are. Yeah, so, yeah, so casting was a little off. I actually read somewhere... Maybe it was just a, a May-December romance between the parents. Yeah. He's probably at least 10 years older than her, yeah. you can tell. Uh, no, I'd actually read, I think when I was just skimming through like Wikipedia, that originally they wanted Jack Nicholson oh, to play yeah. the dad. Something like that, but they did, did end up working out. But I'm glad they didn't. I like who they cast. I mean, yeah, yes, the I age, think, age description aside, it looks it they they work very well. Having Jack Nicholson, I think, would have taken away from from the actor playing Ralphie, who was supposed to be the focus of the movie. Yeah, and that would have put too much of a big name. I agree. You would have been looking at Jack Nicholson the entire fucking time. Right. In this film, like you know, they're not they're not unknowns. They're they're decent actors. Yes, but they're not huge names. You know, it's not like yeah. we got. Tom Cruise playing Ralphie and <laughs> whatever, all these other like big ass names. It's right. no, they, you just, you can kind of get into the story as opposed to, you know, a star driven film. Right. So the mom asks Ralphie what he wants and he's so excited. This kid is so fucking excited about his BB gun that, you know, he wants to try and get it. And so you get this whole like inner monologue, you know, said through the present day narration mm-hmm. of him. How can he manipulate? not the right word, but kind of like as a kid manipulate the parents to get him what he wants but at this moment he's so fucking excited and he, he says the bb gun and the mother says that one line that is reoccurring and maybe maybe one of the most said lines in this film but it's, it's over and over and over again she tells him you'll shoot your eye out i do really like that internal monologue that we get with ralphie and the narrator telling the audience like oh no no no, i gotta play this off cool and he's like no i just want some tinker toys instead <laughs> you know because he, he he's trying to he's trying to get them to actually get it for him and he knows you know he knows as a toy he shouldn't be getting right but he's gonna he's trying to he's trying to play it cool and the the monologue that we get is really really helpful like the internal monologue so i like that at this point we get him ha- having a dream sequence of him with his gun. Um, the dream sequences in this film, I'm just very flat out going to say, are my least favorite part of the film. I in this first one, I think, is the one that we get where he's like with his gun out the window, shooting as burglars are trying to like come into the house. Mm-hmm. Very comical. It's very kiddish, uh, and maybe I liked them better when I was younger. But now I just I, I find them as a distraction for the film. Like I I, I get it. It's super cute when it comes to thinking about like you know the mind of a child and that's one thing that i think this film does 
particularly well. That's why I like this film, and that's why I pushed for this film, mm-hmm. is because I think this movie in particular represents the accuracies of a, of how we thought as a kid better than a lot of other films. And that is true. Better than, you know, definitely better than a lot of other holiday films, where holiday films, it's, you know, I don't know, there's just a lot of cheesy, a lot of bullshit. In this one, like, to me, Ralphie, you could pull out Ralphie from this film and put him in the real world, and he would be a real fucking kid. Like, he, he, he I just, I get, just the way that yeah. he acts, the way he thinks, and the way that the, the narrator talks about what he's doing just made me think of me as a kid or or just real real kids okay no i see that but yeah but the dream sequences which i think totally true i mean kids have imagination they are totally thinking about that kind of stuff of like oh man if i had this gun i can shoot out these these burglars Uh, i was a total daydreamer when i was a kid (laughs) i probably still am yeah (laughs) i think the dream sequences work just in all honesty i just don't give a fuck about them anymore (laughs) yeah we get a quick scene that just uh, of the father battling uh, the furnace, or just kind of talking about that. Uh, just some setup here. There's actually quite a bit of like little setups early on that we get payoffs for later. Um, and one of the setups is you hear the father just cursing like mad. Although it's not real cursing. In the heat of battle, my father wove a tapestry of obscenity that, as far as we know, is still hanging in space over Lake Michigan. No, well, because I think they don't... I think it's because it's a, like a PG movie. Right. They don't use real cursing. Okay. I think we're kind of told through the story of, of Ralphie as a kid, and I think it's, it's, I think it's gargled. Uh-huh. Like, you know, it's, it's fake. Yeah. But, like, I think the reality of it, he would be saying fucking shit and stuff those bad words (laughs) we get kind of the background of what the father is like through these little scenes that we'll see plenty of time like later of you know when a fuse breaks or like this one with the furnace of just like oh he's this cheapish kind of guy that Mm -hmm. he's 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 the jerry rigger of the family for sure yeah we get a quick setup of them of ralphie and his friends walking to school they are talking about a tongue sticking to a flagpole and like it's it's bullshit yeah you know it's not gonna happen i mean it's very quick quick little thing but just a little set of like okay i wonder if this comes back later actually comes back very quickly because we have a very useless scene at school they have these fake teeth in their mouth and they're like pulling pulling a prank on their teacher it means nothing right uh but that's that really i think that was just a transition to get us to the flagpole scene which is the very next scene yeah after that here we get this is maybe the most famous scene in the movie maybe not maybe maybe not the most famous but like this to me, you know, I think it's the most. I would say it's the most visual, most famous visual scene in the whole movie. Obviously, the, the you shoot your eye out of you'll shoot your eye out. I think is the most famous thing. Yeah, complete uh, out of this film. But uh, no, I, there's a couple. There's a couple major things. It's it's the the flagpole slash the triple dog dare. Like yeah, that, that, those those are huge in this scene. Yeah, you get the shoot your eye out, and you get the leg lamp. I think those are yeah, those are like the three big, and even like the Santa. I was just saying the Santa thing <laughs> might be the the other. There's, thing. Yeah, there's there's like there's a good there's a, bit there's with a this few, film. Uh, there's a few things that came out of this. So we're at one of those big moments here. Uh, Ralphie and his friends Flick and Schwartz are at the flagpole with a bunch of other kids, and they are. Flick is debating, saying like, "No, you can't get your tongue stuck to a flagpole. That's just stupid." Schwartz does the different the levels of dares and he starts off with the double dare and then he goes to the double dog dare and in kid vernacular like 
these dares. It's like the more intense you go, it's like, oh shit, you're more and more of a chicken if you don't do this. And so when he jumps straight to the triple dog dare, I triple dog dare you. Then like, if you don't do it, you will be ostracized for the rest of your childhood life. So you better fucking do it. And so Flick is like, all right, fine, fuck this. He puts his tongue on there, and holy shit, it sticks. Yep. He acts exactly as a kid, I think, would act. He starts crying and whining and screaming exactly like a kid. All the other kids also act exactly how I would think they would act. They just run. <laughs> they hear the bell and they're just like, oh fuck, we just have to we have to get out of here. And so poor Flick is just stuck on the flagpole uh, with his tongue stuck. Poor, poor little bastard. Yeah, which I think they actually used suction cups for that scene. Oh, okay. To get his tongue stuck there. I wonder, hopefully it didn't hurt the actor at all. I don't think so. I, okay. I really doubt they uh, they would have done anything. I mean... I didn't. I didn't see a no children were harmed at the end of this uh, credits. So <laughs> no, but even in 1983 or two, whatever that was yeah. filmed, I'm sure there were there's certain yeah. sorts of child labor laws. There's a lot of regulations, especially when working with kids. Yeah, especially uh, now, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the fire department and the police come and they have to get him unstuck, uh, and they eventually get him off. They get him off the pole. <laughs> hey, <Hey-oh. laughs> stay off the pole, flick. Um, and he's got like this wrap on his tongue, and I, you, you know, whatever it is, it's like cotton balls or like a it looks like shredded up Kleenex or gauze, something. Yeah, yeah, it might be like a little gauze thing. Which honestly, in my twenty something years of watching this film, uh, maybe I watched this when I was even younger. Maybe all of my thirty two years right. of watching this film, I had no idea what that was on his tongue until just watching it. This like yesterday, yeah. Because I couldn't, I just never really paid attention. I thought it was maybe like a chunk of ice or something, yeah. But it, it, it this is not a good story. But I just couldn't tell. He just couldn't talk, and I think it is just literally just gauze yeah. on his tongue. I also thought it was weird that they uh, they just sent him back to class. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's the fucking forties. Get your ass back to class, kid. <laughs> Tough it out. <laughs> so they're back in the classroom, and Flick wouldn't give up Ralphie and Schwartz for mm-hmm. having him stick his tongue to the flagpole. He's a good friend. You know, yep. I probably would have done the same thing. You don't, you know, especially on your best friends. If it was a bully or some asshole, you'd probably say something, but not for your best buds. Right. You do that kind of shit all the time. You ask that, you do those kind of dares and triple dog dares to each other. Right. That's just, that's just part of growing up. Yeah. But the teacher gives a guilt trip to Ralphie and Schwartz. And what I really like and what I think what really does show the accuracy of just the mentality of the kids is he mentions, Ralphie mentions that, oh, Adults love to give you the guilt trip, and mm-hmm. kid, but kids know better. Like they're like, no, they don't want to get in real trouble. And right. so if you give them the fake guilt trip, they're not. They don't feel guilty. Right. Hell no. But they're like, oh, of course, yes, yes, teacher, I feel guilty. And then in deep down inside, they're like, fuck yes, I didn't get in trouble. <laughs> so I, I, I think that is something that we can all relate to. It's definitely something that you know I, I know was something I agree with. And, and when I was a kid, yeah. I, I didn't want to get in trouble. If I get passed off with just like a, oh, I hope the people feel bad about who did this. I'm like, oh yeah, sure, I feel bad. <laughs> no, I don't. Uh, <laughs> you know, that kind of shit. Right. So John, you have to punish your kids. Don't give them the guilt trip. You have to actually punish them. Okay. <laughs> Let me give you fatherly <laughs> lessons on my zero years of being a father uh, and your 
nine yeah nine nine years of being a father um so yeah take that advice you're welcome (laughs) next time i'm charging you okay so the teacher has her students do an essay about what they want for christmas and this perks ralphie up this kid is so stupidly excited about his bb gun that he thinks if he writes this perfect essay he's going to change the mind of all the adults and they're all going to get behind the idea of him getting this bb gun right he'll write this essay and then the teacher will give that over to his parents and his parents will just be like oh my god what a well-worded essay and your teacher it has the backing of your teacher of course we'll buy you 20 bb guns (laughs) but that is that is the mind of a kid like a kid thinks irrationally like that yeah i I like that Uh, on the walk home the kids run into our School bully Scut Farkas. It's a good name, Scut. Scut Farkas. What a rotten name. We were trapped. There he stood between us and the alley. Scut Farkas staring out at us with his yellow eyes. He had yellow eyes. So help me, God, yellow eyes. I did think it was funny actually in this scene that when Scut first appears, actually right before he appears, the music that's being played is from Prokofiev's Peter and the Wolf, and it's the theme for the wolf. Oh, nice. That's very clever. I like that. So we meet Scott Farkas, who's this ginger. If you have a ginger bully, he's a ginger. Come on. <laughs> but he's he's gross looking. He's got like bad teeth, and he's, if, he's uh, bigger than all the other kids. If he is not the model for the bully in Toy Story, mm. I will be shocked because, first of all, he looks exactly like him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he does kind of look like, like Sid does look like him a little yeah. bit, for sure. But yeah, so Scott Fargus is definitely a classic school bully that I think of as a kid. He's one of, like, you know, the all-time school bullies that I, that I think of. Mm-hmm. And he's got his little, like, toady Grover Dill. Grover Dill! Farkas's crummy little toady. Mean, rotten, his lips curled over his green teeth. He's like a tiny little kid, but he's like, he's a super tough little bastard. <laughs> I mean, he looks like he they plucked him right out of the, you know, the Bronx or something. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I think they did. That's <laughs> yeah, pretty funny. And this movie's supposed to take place in Indiana, so... Mm-hmm. It's just weird, like that the hat and the attitude and the jacket. And the... Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's got like a, exactly like a newsiest kind of hat. Yeah, yeah, and like his leatherish jacket or whatever. Yeah, he he, he does have that attitude. And, yeah. uh, speaking of hats, Scott Farkas has his like his raccoon skin hat yeah. on with a tail, and I <laughs> he just looks he looks gross. He looks. I, I mean, don't, I don't know why those haven't come back in style. <laughs> yeah, uh, he definitely looks like. I mean, I don't, I don't think if we dive into the actual home life of Scott Farkas, he just seems like the kind of kid who maybe, maybe they live in a trailer park. Yeah. Maybe he doesn't have enough money, yeah. and you know, and and kids made fun of him when he was younger, and he didn't have a real. His dad, know, strong his life. dad probably bullies him. Exactly, he probably got beat by his by his father, and he doesn't know how to do how to handle that. So he he takes it out on other kids, John. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is the uh, the the psychotherapy discussion of our of our podcast that we do every week. <laughs> But you're starting you're, right now. I'm yeah, starting right now. I'm very curious about Scud Farkas's home life, and I'm sure that we, I'm sure we nailed it on the head right there. Probably. I mean, yeah, he can't afford fluoride <laughs> uh, toothpaste because you can tell that with his teeth, and he's got some jaundice because he's got yellow eyes, so he's not getting enough sun or, or in vitamins. Uh, vitamin D. Yeah. He's he's probably living a pretty unfortunate home life. And so instead of being scared for him, I'm feeling bad for Scud Farkas as an adult when I rewatch this. <laughs> 
Anyway, he's a good he's a good classic school bully yeah. in my eyes. He does what probably very accurately other bullies did in that time is he grabs Schwartz's arm, puts it behind his back, and makes him say uncle. And you know, you <laughs> get those screams. Say uncle! 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 I always wonder what's the the origination. Is that a word? Maybe. <laughs> Where did the term cry uncle come from? Yeah. That seems like a weird arbitrary thing to cry. If I have the time to look it up, John, I'll cut it in now. I didn't really have the time to look it up. You all have Google. Figure it out yourselves. So, yeah, the the boys end up running away from Scud, uh, but yeah, you get that that uncle cry. Ralphie is going over his essay in front uh, in front of the camera, basically. I, I love it. It seems so accurate because he thinks it's a magical, perfect essay. And the way he reads it, you know, it's a piece of shit essay. <laughs> you know, he's just like, I want a Red Rider BB gun because I really want it. It's awesome. I can do so many things. And he's like, oh, this is perfect. And as a kid, yeah, you, you'd think that kind of thing is perfect because you're so excited about it. But those kind of little things that when I probably when I watched it as a kid, I didn't realize just how stupid his essay was. But now there's actually that's actually good humor in that mm-hmm. scene because as an adult, you're like, oh, stupid kid. That's not that's not good. But it's funny because he thinks it is. I don't know. In my experience, most kids write like that. Yeah, I th- no, exactly. I think that's that's the accuracy, and they think it's gold and it's <laughs> shit. And I, I that's where the humor comes from as an adult. And so that's why I think this this movie is pretty much standing up so far. I still write like that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I've never been a good writer. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't do great on my AP literature classes in high school or anything. I didn't take AP literature. Yeah. Okay, there we go. We get a quick little scene of the dad comes home and he won something. He got a major award. That's all we know. And it'll be coming tonight. So quick little setup about that. They, yeah, they do have a lot of these just like on a little like one minute scenes mm-hmm. of just like, here's something. And then like. Two or three scenes later, it then happens. Yeah. But we at least at least we get a little bit of a setup for, for some of this stuff, which is good. At dinner that night, what hits me a little bit harder is, yeah, we really see the life of the mother. Uh, like, you know, kind of like the quintessential life of the mother in the 40s, and especially at this home life, where she's always caring for the family. And even Ralphie says at one point his mother never had a hot meal, you know, in... 10 years or whatever it was mm-hmm. um, because she's constantly getting a seconds for the dad right. or, you know, helping answer questions for the kids or she's stopping eating so she can get the, the younger brother to eat like a pig, which is uh, that part annoyed the shit out of me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I didn't, uh, that stupid kid just eat your fucking meal. I'd be much more like the dad. I'd, <laughs> you know, he was actually just ignoring it, but I would have just been like, shut the fuck up, Randy. You eat your goddamn mashed potatoes as opposed to her kind of like doing the whole piggy thing but i'm gonna be a great father john uh just you know just come to me for all your advice and i'll help you out tell your kid to shut the fuck up and eat their goddamn mashed potatoes okay but uh at this point they have a knock at the door the family is so excited the prize is here and we get maybe another one one of maybe the most famous lines in the film they put the box down and the father says ah fragile it must be Italian. <laughs> the mother the mother is definitely the smartest person in this film. Yes. Uh, and she's like, well, I think that's just fragile, honey. And he's like, eh, whatever. They open it up, and the father is given maybe the most gorgeous piece of furniture of all time. It's a sexy lingerie leg lamp. Most people know that leg lamp. Like, actually, 
I had like a little miniature one that I had at my desk at my last office, and it had a little candle in it, uh, and it's just it's it's perfect. It's a perfect leg lamp. <laughs> what what caught me in this scene was that he doesn't know what's coming mm-hmm. and how excited he was <laughs> to see it. Yeah, I would have been wholly disappointed. First of all, that it was a lamp, but it was a major award, John. <laughs> He's but he's the kind of guy that saves his like proof of purchase stamps and like sends them out to get like all those the stupid little shits. You know, he he wants to get every little thing that he can, you know, right. if it, if it's free, it gets him excited. He's yeah. kind of like that cheapish kind of guy. And I think that was the whole thing was oh, he got this for free <laughs> and it, but it's this yeah. He uh, he was stupidly excited for the lamp. And I think his excitement is kind of what makes it so funny. It's so interesting because it is an absurd yeah. present. Like, you know, I, I don't even know if they really go over what he did to get it or who sent it or what. No, they don't really at all. But he, his excitement is what's so fucking funny because it's an absurd thing. But he is so proud of it. Whatever it is, he's stupid proud of it. Uh, and the whole leg, like, lights up. And it's not, like, just a light at the top. Like, the entire leg lights up, which I think is just kind mm-hmm. of funny. And it's got, like, yeah, that lace you know, stocking up on it um and I, always, I always thought it was funny the way that ralphie like whenever he's around it you see ralphie just kind of reaching up and like touching <laughs> the like lamp caressing the leg yeah it's uh it's funny because as a kid you know he doesn't know what he's doing and he doesn't know he just knows he must touch this leg lamp and we all had those feelings we didn't know we didn't know what was going on but it's funny and the mom is ridiculously embarrassed by this fucking lamp and the dad is like outside in the street trying to position it perfectly in the front window which the mother unfortunately doesn't have the doesn't have the strength at her, at her home to just say no we're not putting this fucking thing <laughs> in the front window but all these neighbors are around and like they're like oh what what is this and the dad's like oh it's it's a major award uh it's it's just funny like that leg lamp man i love that leg lamp <laughs> The next day at school, Ralphie turns in his paper. We get another quick little dream sequence of, you know, how he's expecting the teacher to just love his paper. Again, those dream sequences, meh, just kind of going to run through them. Mm-hmm. Um, that night, they go to pick up a Christmas tree. There's the whole, the way that Ralphie puts it, you know, there's this epic war of the lamp or battle of the lamp. My mother was about to make another brilliant maneuver in the legendary battle of the lamp. The epic struggle which followed lives in the folklore of Cleveland Street to this very day. She ingeniously turns off the lamp before they go. Right. Uh, and, you know, she she says it's, oh, so we don't have to waste electricity, which normally you can tell the dad would, that'd be his thing. Right. But not with this lamp. He wants to show well, off. Well, that, that and as soon as she says that, they pull out to a shot of the whole house and all the rest of the lights are on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Okay, so yeah, just pretty ingenious from the mom then. But they they go pick up a Christmas tree. Just a quick little kind of fun scene. Really, you're getting more of that backstory of the dad being a little bit of a bargainer. Mm -hmm. And I like the guy who sends them, who who is at the Christmas tree thing. He's obviously like a used car salesman kind of guy. (laughs) He's like, here's a great tree. And it's like a shitty ass little tree. It's it's funny, you know, without, without seeing the visuals of the trees, it's not as good. But it's funny. On the way home, they get a flat tire. And again, just kind of the setup of how the father is. You know, he likes to be the Jerry Rig kind of fix it guy, uh-huh. and so he he takes he takes pride in fixing things quickly and maybe not always to the best 
of the ability, but he likes to be fast at his quick at fixing shit. The mother sends Ralphie to go help the dad. Mm-hmm. Just you know, he's getting older. You know, you know, go go learn some things. Go pick up some stuff from your father. And he seems excited to do it too. Yeah, yeah. I think they Which, they, look, they look up to their dad for sure. Oh yeah. Well, I I know my son loves anytime I need him his help on anything. He loves it. That's good. doesn't matter really really doesn't matter what it is. He just likes helping. John, um, yeah, you really should have your kid help you with stuff. Just and continue continuing the advice that I'm giving uh-huh. you. Um, you know, make sure to include them. Make them feel useful in your life because we know they're not useful because they really they probably hinder a lot of things. <laughs> but if they feel they're useful, then they'll become better productive people of society. Yeah, noted. <laughs> Because there's a lot of shit your son is not useful with. That's for damn sure. Let's let's get him. Let's get him. Let's teach him some skills. My son is way smarter at nine years old uh. than I ever was at nine years old. About as smart as me or more than me right now at 32 <laughs> years old. But he's a good kid. But here with the flat tire scene, we get another perfect, fantastic lines and perfect, just really good scenes where he is helping the dad by just holding the lug nuts. Really, he's not doing anything. You know, mm-hmm. The dad could have just set that down on the ground. But that accidentally knocks the lug nuts out of like the hubcaps, and they go everywhere. And Ralphie says, Oh, fudge. Only I didn't say fudge. I said the word, the big one. The queen mother of dirty words. The F dash 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 word. What did you say? I feel like we've had times like that. We've all said some bad words and shit like that. Like, this is where, like, this is the kind of thing, like, I relate to Ralphie so much because I feel like these aspects of his life are bits and pieces, little vignettes of shit that happened to me just in a slightly <laughs> different way right you know but like it's very similar style yeah you know i may not have wanted you know the red rider bb gun but i wanted some teenage Mutant ninja turtle toy that would shoot my eye out or some stupid stupid shit or i can't remember things off the top of my head but or know. an rv or an oh, god damn we're not gonna go with that, with that story oh maybe one day we will say the rv story which was one of the worst camping experiences for my mother that we ever had. Uh, let's save it for I'm another just, podcast. Okay. <laughs> but it's, I'm just uh, attributing the experience. Yeah, we'll, we'll drop we're finding in, common ground here. We'll drop in the hint of the RV <laughs> story, and then maybe if we're doing a movie with an RV, I'll tell our camp Eric. We talk about movie. the great outdoors. Yeah, well, yeah. There we go. If we talk about the great outdoors, then I'll bring up that story. <laughs> So Ralphie has to put soap in his mouth because he said fuck. He said the bad word. Um, And there's a funny monologue behind it. Over the years, I got to be quite a connoisseur of soap. My personal preference is for Lux, but I found palm olive had a nice piquant after dinner flavor. Heady, but with just a touch of mellow smoothness. Life Boy, on the other hand. (laughs) Uh, you know, how he says he's been used to having to have soap in his mouth. And he goes over the different speci- specificities of different soaps. and the how nuances. They t- the nuances, thank you, of how they taste. But he mentions that the one that he's got in his mouth right now is, is awful. It's the <laughs> worst one. But it's it's funny. And the mom wants Ralphie to tell her where she heard it from. And, of course, he heard it from his dad, which we get from, like, a little setup of, like, him yeah. cursing earlier. And I think deep down she knows. Yeah. She has to. She just refuses to admit it. Mm-hmm. I mean, we even get that because Ralphie says Schwartz. She tells him it's from her friend, his friend Schwartz. She calls up the mother. Schwartz's mom even says, 
you can hear it over the phone. She probably heard it from your father, from his father. <laughs> and, it, and you know, the mom doesn't believe it. But at the same right. time, of course. So it's it's well-renowned that the dad is not good at holding back his language. No, he has no filter. Yeah. But, like, the more disturbing part is when the mom tells Schwartz's mom that it was that kid who got it. And you hear over the phone that kid getting beaten. That is quite possibly one of the hardest things to listen to as a yeah, parent. I mean, it's I still found it funny. <laughs> well, they, they make it a little over the top and yeah, comical, which yeah. helps. Yeah. Like the way that the mom is screaming, which I wouldn't be surprised if the person on, on doing the voice is actually a guy, because it mm-hmm. kind of sounds like a hot. Yeah, yeah it kind of sounds like a guy doing a, a woman's voice. Mm-hmm. But the kids screaming, I don't yeah. know what they did to get the performance <laughs> out of that kid. But that, like, it was almost. I was sitting there watching it, my wife, and that happened, and she looked at me, and I go, I think I'm getting PTSD yeah. <laughs> yeah. from listening to this. Yeah. No, it was it was definitely more disturbing. As Not that we were ever beaten by our parents, because I don't want people to think no, we Honestly, no, no, no. we never were. Our parents were very good. No, no they never hit us. Um, we did get switched by our daycare. <laughs> <laughs> that is a story. Yeah. That's another story. Yes. That's a story for another podcast. <laughs> I do. I have a weird... Memory, I know. I mean, we yeah. So we had we were at uh, our daycare, which was called the Country Corner Daycare, which is no longer there. No so longer I don't mind there. saying it. Yeah, exactly. But we were in Georgia, um, which you know, and kind of you know a little bit more of the South. I mean, it is more it, the South. It, it is it's the South, right in the Bible Belt. Yeah, and where we grew up, you know, it wasn't quite taken over by Atlanta and the suburbs yet. Not not suburban and not rural, but in between. Right, I would say <laughs> a foot in both yeah. cultures. <laughs> yes, our Country Corner Daycare. They would, if you did something wrong, you would have to go pick your switch and they would switch you. It wasn't too, too, I don't remember ever being like too terrible. You know, actually, I don't think I ever got switched. I, uh, I, I, I'm not shocked if you did. I did. I did. And I have this weird memory and I don't, and I couldn't, it was run by staunch Southern Baptists. Yeah. Okay. I mean, they were, yeah, old school with that kind of stuff. Yeah. I have a weird memory and I don't know why, but I think this is kind of what I remember. I was, I don't mean, I, I, I was, I don't know, probably four or five years old when I was there. Right. I mean, we, we moved out of that area when I was like six or seven. But I remember, and I don't know why I have this weird memory, but I have a memory of like, you know, being in like the, the back, uh, the backyard area. Yeah. And whatever I was doing, I was either playing with myself or like <laughs> rubbing my, my little peen against like a tree. It's so weird. And I don't know why I have this in my head, but like, that's what I was doing and one of the one of the caretakers like came up to me and I was like, Adam, what the fuck are you doing? And I was just a kid and I was like, oh, I don't know. Because <laughs> you don't know what the hell's going on. You don't know. You don't know. You just play with yourself when you're a kid. And then that and that's what I remember when they, they grabbed me and pulled me and then they had to switch me uh, because I was playing with myself in the back of the daycare. Or I, what I what I remember is I was rubbing up my junk against a tree. That's what I remember. Because you don't know what the hell. It's just this weird thing that it controls you. You don't know what's going on. I'm laughing for two reasons. One of them is that I've seen that behavior from children before. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, it happens. You, and, you don't know how to control and yourself. two, I don't remember this happening. So uh, this obviously did not happen while I was there. No. Might have been in time. It might have been when I had already gone off to school. And yeah, very possible. 
But yeah, I mean, kids, you just you just rub your junk against shit, and you don't know how, you don't know why or what you're doing, but you just do it. And that's what that's one of the moments I remember getting in trouble at daycare was from rubbing it against a tree. I didn't pull it out, but I was just like rubbing, you know, just rubbing. The only time I remember getting in trouble at the daycare was um, we were inside, so it must have been raining because anytime it wasn't raining, we were forced outside. And I was drawing something. Somebody had a Mad Magazine, and I was copying a picture from the Mad Magazine, and it was like a buxom woman, and it was the most <laughs> prominent picture on the magazine. So I was just drawing it, and I drew it, and. <laughs> And for no reason, I went, I drew two nipples and wrote the word Playboy across the top. <laughs> yeah, you'd probably seen that from somewhere. And, yeah, yeah, and yeah. Uh, I remember they the ladies came by, like her eyes went wide, like grabbed it away. And then they didn't really do anything to me. But then they told mom when I got there and she was like, what the hell are you doing that for? I was like, I don't know. I thought it was funny. Yeah. Oh, why would they have a mad magazine there, though? Like, that doesn't make any sense. No, one of the other kids had it. Oh, OK. Yeah. So now let's get back to the story. <laughs> and we get another dream sequence. Ralphie is in bed. You know, he's sad because he just got his friend beaten. He has his dream. This is maybe my, probably my least favorite dream sequence in the film where, he, you know, he kind of wants to show his parents and he wishes he went blind from soap poisoning to quote unquote show his parents. But again, I don't hate the dream sequences. They're just, you know, my least favorite watching it entertainment wise. Yeah. But I do feel like it is pretty accurate because the kid would think that kind of way. <laughs> Uh, at school, uh, the next day, Ralphie brings a fruit basket, a big-ass fruit <laughs> basket, to his teacher, trying to bribe her for a good grade, where everyone else is giving her an apple, hoping that, you know, he will get that good grade to convince his parents about the BB gun. I have to say, uh, in all of my years of being a teacher, I've never once received an apple. Yeah, I wish that was the thing, because like, apples are easy to get, and you can nowadays you have to, like, give people real gifts and shit. But no, as kid, kids nah. don't give, they don't give teachers anything that I can think of. Uh, I've gotten a few things. I've had a, uh, one year I had a student weirdly give me and the other teacher that I co-taught with motivational signs. Like there were like little signs that had like motivational sayings on them. That was the weirdest one. Um, I've had I've had students. I've had quite a few students, like especially around holidays, who would they would make a bunch of like holiday cookies or something at home. Oh, okay. And they would come and give me, you know, give the teachers one or, or something like that. But yeah, that, too, that the the motivational sign one was the weirdest <laughs> one. I've ever okay. Got. But when Ralphie gets home, he checks the mail, and we had like little bits of piece of this setup earlier in the film. We just didn't talk about it about him getting this. Little Orphan Annie decoder pin. It's his favorite radio program. He finally saved up enough Ovaltine proof of purchases to right. get this decoder pin. Now he can crack the secret messages that they send like every week or some shit. He gets the su this super exciting part where he's, you know, trying to decode this, this message feverishly. The message tells him, be sure to drink more Ovaltine. Mm -hmm. Fuck. Like this is, this is one of those loss of innocence moments <laughs> as a kid where yeah. you're just like fucking corporate America, man. <laughs> <laughs> just, it was a goddamn commercial and as a kid you get so excited about shit like that you think you're into something special and you're part of like a very unique and elite group and instead it's a fucking commercial it's an advertisement that screamed loss of innocence to me <laughs> i'm just like yeah we've i've been there kid that night before dinner we have which i want to add every scene that they're eating dinner they're eating the exact same thing are they <laughs> 
Are they really? It's, ma- it's a meatloaf, mashed potatoes, and cabbage. Oh, I Red didn't, cabbage. I didn't notice that, but they probably just shot all those scenes back to back. They're like, fuck it. No one will, no one will this care. This is the type of family that would, they would yeah. literally just eat the same thing every night. Oh, yeah. Very, very likely. Before, right before dinner, the mother is found at the scene of the crime, if you will. The leg lamp, John, was broken as she was cleaning. It got knocked over. Now, uh, the old man is furious and... <laughs> And he's trying to, he tries to glue it back together and it's just kind of funny. And he, he's just like, oh, you were jealous of this lamp. You were always jealous of this lamp. Jealous of a plastic lamp? Jealous. Jealous because I won. His erraticism, I think, is hilarious. He reminds me a lot of, and, and if, if I could have done like a recasting of all time, like, you know, not just, you know, current actors, mm-hmm. I would have easily, easily put... Jerry Stiller from Seinfeld. Oh yeah, he. I mean, him. His, his that father as George's father from Seinfeld. Uh-huh. I see so many parallels with the father from this movie. I, they're just very similar people to me, um, but they're hilarious, very eccentric. You know, just just very funny. And I like how over the top he he's getting, and just how upset he's getting at the loss of this stupid ass leg lamp, his major award. Do you think the mother? In oh, she knocked it over. <laughs> yeah, on purpose. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. It wasn't an accident, nope. as she said. Nope. I don't think so either. I think it was very much planned from her. I think that was very intelligent on her part. She is the smartest person in the fucking movie. <laughs> yes. I think it's awesome. But yeah, they end up having to throw it away. Poor award. Back at school, we get uh, Scott Farkas again and his friend Dill. Flick was stuck out there and he had to do uncle. Just We just get some more, just multiple little quick scenes of Scott Farkas being the bully or chasing the kids or, right. you know, Flick came back with like a shiner after this one. He got, you know, he actually got punched in the face and stuff. Uh, just, just the setup that we will get payoff later that Scott's going to deserve what he gets. Mm-hmm. In class, Ralphie gets his grade back from his paper and he only gets a C plus, which sounds about right from the paper that we heard. (laughs) And in big red letters, she wrote, you'll shoot your eye out. We're just the return of that line. Mm -hmm. Very true. Every adult in this kid's life is telling him the story of, you know, what, what will happen. Well, every adult except for one. I guess the uh, the dad doesn't say it, does he? No, he doesn't. And he's the one who buys it for him. Yes, he is. And then Ralphie shoots his eye, <laughs> which, which we'll get to very briefly. That is funny. Yeah, I didn't think about it. He is he isn't the most yeah mature guy. The one who doesn't yeah he did yeah he didn't say that once. He is the only one who doesn't say it. So Ralphie is obviously upset about this paper. And on the way home, we get Scott Farkas and Dill again, and they're bullying Ralphie this time, and bullying the friends, and you know what? Everything has built up in Ralphie at this point, where he's just, he's fucking done, and he's had it, and there's a fire burning in him. Deep in the recesses of my brain, a tiny red-hot little flame began to grow. And the only way to beat a bully, John, is by beating a bully, like physically. (laughs) You have to stand up to the bully, because you can't just, like, complain about the bully, because then they're just gonna... You know, if you complain to an adult, that's it. You have to stand up to a bully and physically beat the shit out of them. The only problem is this happens fantastically in movies, but in real life, a lot of times if the bully is bigger and stronger than you, you can't just beat them up right. <laughs> like they do. But it's all right. In this in this one, Ralphie, he's just, he has erupted 
because uh, no one's respecting his wishes about the BB gun, I think. Mm-hmm. And he snaps and he just starts wailing on Scud. And you get, you know, he's got like a bloody nose. He's getting yeah. his ass beat. And Ralphie's just cursing up a storm and just fucking wailing on this kid. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, I think the only reason that it worked was because Ralphie caught him by surprise. He didn't at mm. all expect him to fight back at yeah. all. Which, I mean, I, in my fatherly advice, John, <laughs> I do think standing up to the bully in a physical manner is, is a decent idea because... You know, you might get your ass beat if you can. If you can learn to defend yourself enough, you got to fight dirty. Kick them in the gonads. You know, this is actually something I'm actually torn on between not wanting to see my child actually get into a physical fight for a dumb reason and wanting to have him be able to defend himself. I was lucky. I've always been tall for my age. I mean, I reached six feet when I was in eighth eighth grade. Mm-hmm. So I've always been kind of bigger. I've never been mean and i wasn't really bullied per se i had a couple people pick on me here and there but i was never like regularly bullied by a Mm -hmm. person and the two times when i was a kid and was challenged to a fight i was away i was able to intimidate my way out of it Mm -hmm. so i don't know that although my son is pretty tall he's not very aggressive no so i don't know that and who knows maybe that'll change you know when he reaches puberty once that testosterone hits him (laughs) (laughs) he's gonna be rubbing that peen over everything that he can and just gonna be wanting to punch stuff we could have gone anywhere else in that conversation besides that. Testosterone does some unfortunate things to kids. It, yes, yeah. I remember. No, that's, that's good. I, n- I never really got bullied either. There was one kid, I remember his name was Taylor. He was a little asshole. In elementary school, I remember I was out at recess and he pantsed me. And that's all I really remember that happened once and I pulled my pants back up. But I didn't, I never had to like, but it wasn't like a, a reoccurring bullying. Right. I never really had a reoccurring bully. I had people that I didn't like in high school and stuff. That they were just assholes. Yeah. Uh, so I never really got into a fight. I only really got into like bar fights, whatnot, when I was a little bit older <laughs> and I was a little more intoxicated <laughs> and that's about it. Yeah. But I never really got, I never had bullying fights. I never really had to, I was not, I was not a tall kid. I was never, never been tall. I'm very average height, but I've just luckily never had to, had to defend myself. But mm-hmm. I think a kid should be able to stand up if they needed to. Yeah. But the mother in this bully fight, the mother comes in and stops Ralphie. And so she kind of like grabs and pulls him away. One of the least motherly things I think I saw was she just kind of grabbed Ralphie and walked away. She didn't check on the kid that he was beating up at all. Yeah. Like she did not, she did, you know, I assume she doesn't really know Scut and she doesn't know that, you know, maybe he's the actual bully or whatever. But even then, you would think that, you know, this kid had blood blood coming out of his nose you would think that a nice adult even though it's your kid you know you're pulling them away you would still look at the other kid and be like oh are you okay little boy or something she doesn't do that at all she just grabs ralphie and they go away i don't know i think in some level she maybe she did know that he was bullying him (laughs) maybe and so she was okay with with his ass getting beat oh yeah i would be Uh, oh yeah if i knew it was a bully then yes i probably would yeah i'd probably laugh yeah (laughs) i really shouldn't admit this but when my kids were little younger their kids with just stronger personalities no matter what the age i remember uh one i'll just cite one particular instance where my son who was probably two or three at the time um was i was just watching him go up the stairs towards a slide and there was another kid who was probably about three or four who was standing at the slide and he kind of blocked the slide my son just kind of looked at me and the kid looked at me he's like he can't go by and i looked at him i said move with the intent that if he does not move i'm going to go up there and move him i don't care who his parents are so the kid moved i think one of the dumbest fucking things 
out there that people say is violence solves nothing because that's not true. That's bullshit. <laughs> Honestly, violence solves almost everything. Like it's it's weird because like when it comes down to it, even in human nature, the biggest and strongest survive. Yeah. America is still one of the top countries because we have one of the biggest fucking defenses and like all like the armies out there that we could defend. Now granted, I think we spend way too much on that. Totally different story. <laughs> I don't give a fuck about that. Yeah. But throughout the evolution of human history, violence ends up solving stuff. If someone like, oh, this is my land or this is your land. All right, I'm going to beat you up. Now this is my land. Right. Like, it, which sucks. That's it's, how I mean, empires were born. That's yes. how countries were made. Now, and that still even happens today. I know yeah. we like to think we're all woke and all this kind of <laughs> shit. But the thing is, when it comes down to it, the person with the bigger muscles or the person with the bigger guns or the person who has the bigger intelligence on how to fight that other person yeah. and can trick them or whatever whatever tactic you end up using if you if it comes down to it the final straw is violence yeah which kind of sucks but that's that's how it goes unless unless you can you know verbally calm things down and be diplomatic that's fantastic right but the be all end all is power which kind of sucks, but that, I mean, yeah. that's, and it does solve the problem. There's, and there's a, there, I mean, there's a, you could probably count the, the number of times that diplomacy de-escalated something on one hand or maybe two. I mean, the one I can think of most famously was, and I never thought about this until I went there. When we were in Ireland, they made a point of telling us, because the group we were with was al almost entirely Americans. There was a couple mm -hmm. of Australians and some South African people who were there with us too, but most of us were American. How revered Bill Clinton is in Ireland hmm. because he was the one who de-escalated the fight between the Catholics and the Protestants. Interesting. He was the one who came up with the so him and his staff came up with the solution that de-escalated de the whole thing and got rid of the IRA and all that stuff. I had no idea. I didn't either until I was there. They just, it was just not something that played up. Yeah. But uh, it was funny some, you, you talking about something. There's a, a really great YouTuber named CPG Gray and he's kind of like an edge. I'm gonna say education, but that's, that's kind of what it is. He just makes sort of informative videos with fun animation, and he oh he talks about that sort of thing a lot, and he refers to it as big army diplomacy mm -hmm. or bigger army diplomacy. I mean, what totally makes sense. Like one of the biggest part of diplomacy is you stop picking on this other little person, or me with the bigger army is gonna pick on you. Right. That ends a lot of conflicts. Yes. Because it's like, well, you've got big guns, we've got bigger guns, so stop doing what we don't like. Right. Like, that is part of diplomacy. So yeah. like it's 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 not violence per se, but it is the intimidation of violence. Yes. That ends up doing a lot of shit. So yep. people lift some weights, get swole, and that way you can get whatever the fuck you want. That's what I'd say. <laughs> that's all I'm saying. The opinions of uh, Adam are not necessarily opinions of the Blast <laughs> wow. from Our Past podcast as a whole. This is quite a multitude of tirades we're going on. <laughs> no. I wasn't expecting to go into all these different this is, awfully, this is an awfully deep podcast for talking about a 30-year-old <laughs> Christmas movie that yeah. plays on a loop on TV. Fuck, yeah. 35-year-old. Holy shit. Uh, okay. So, uh, Ralphie and his brother are worried that the dad is going to kill Ralphie again with the violence. Uh, but uh, very funny, very mom. The mother very slyly kind of like sweeps it under the rug, but she does tell him. Right. Um, you know, she does her parenting duty of telling the parent, but she does it in the perfect way of distracting him with football <laughs> right away. So it's, it's you know, again, she, she is the smartest person in the room. She knows, she runs that household. She is, um, she's really the boss mm -hmm. when it comes to everything because she knows how to manipulate, you know, to an extent. Next day, Ralphie has this plan. Oh, he realizes, okay, if I'm going to get this gun, I should be asking Santa. 
Mm-hmm. Duh, of course you should be asking Santa. Ask the big guy. Yes. So they go to a mall where Santa is. Kind of, a, you know, another fun, classic, funny scene. The line is super long where they have to go yeah. to wait for Santa. But they kind of run through that quick enough. When they first get in line, there's a guy who, you know, tells them, Hey, kid, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. That's John Shepard. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, I didn't pick up on his voice because, you know, we would have heard his voice as the right. narrator as well. Maybe he disguised it just for that one part. Yeah. Or maybe it was different enough mm-hmm. in person that people wouldn't have noticed. That's cool. So, so we got a cameo yeah, in Yeah, a little film. cameo in there. I did think it was funny that they put the kids in line and were like, we're going to go shopping. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they just ditch them. <laughs> Which, uh, I'm not going to lie. I've thought about doing myself. Yeah. Which I feel like you don't do nowadays. You know, Not as much. Uh, sometimes, you know, you have definitely learned. Sometimes you got to learn when it's okay to kind of let the reins out a little bit and mm-hmm. let them try something on their own. They have the, the kids standing in front of them. is like this weird little girl. <laughs> Kind of like a weird kid. Yeah. But they eventually, they get up to Santa. There's multiple funny things about this scene to me. Mm-hmm. I like it a lot. Where every kid that goes up to Santa, like before Ralphie, including the brother, including that weird girl in front of him, they just, they get on Santa's lap and they're just, they cry. They don't know what to do. Yeah. They, they're all, and then oh, they, yeah. they get pushed down this slide by one of the other elves. And you can kind of see the joy in the elf's face as he pushes them down the slide. And every yeah. single kid oh, is like, elves are mean. <laughs> Are they real? The, have you... No, the elves in this oh, movie yes. are mean. Yeah, they are. They're like I, what I understood was like the lady who's standing in front of Ralphie, like watches as her kid is like yanked by this person. If it were me, that elf would have been gone off the side. <laughs> no, no, no. You don't drag my kid like that. Yeah, this was this is the forties. It was a different time. Different time, and and it it is kind of go. funny to note. Are you are you familiar with the the movie Elf? Yeah, I also... From 2003? I'm in the minority where I think Elf is highly overrated. Oh, I don't like it at all. Yeah, some people, people adore it, and they think it's like a Christmas classic, and I'm just like, that movie's dumb. Yeah, I agree. (laughs) There's a scene, though, with, uh, I think, like an angry elf called Ming Ming. Yeah, I mean, I've only seen it, like, once, and and then I was kind of blanked it. That's Peter Billingsley. Oh shit! That's Ralphie. Oh, okay, so they—I'm sure they do that exactly. Yeah. For that, re- for this film. Yes. Okay, that, that's cute. That's cute, but still, the movie—I don't like the movie. Oh no, I think it's horrible. <laughs> but they also—we will never ever talk yeah. about that movie. No. Or actually, it's from 2003, I think, so it's way too old. A little bit past, for us. Yeah. What I—a couple things that I actually like about this scene. One, as a kid, I would have fucking loved that slide. Like, <laughs> holy shit! Yeah. Those kids get to slide down a slide after after sitting on Santa's lap. That's, my, that's I think awesome. My kids would have gone up there, bypassed. Santa yeah, just, just gone down the slide. slide. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck you, fat man. I'm doing I'm doing this. <laughs> yeah. In this part, they kind of do some things just visually that that make it a little awkward to kind of show the awkwardness of right. the Santa. They they cut to some POV shots, some what's called point of view, which is you're seeing pretty much through the eyes of Ralphie as he's being spun around and looking at this awkward angle at Santa, and he goes, ho, 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 in your face and shit like that. Ho, ho. And they almost yeah. kind of, is it called, I don't know if this is the right one. It seems like it's almost a fisheye lens. Yeah. Not, yeah. I don't know if it's quite a fisheye. It's not so that, not so extreme, but it's, it's, you know, it's a wide angle lens. You're yeah. Totally it's very just almost distorted when you see it up close. Because that's actually how we see. So that's, I think that's why they would use a lens like okay. that because we see in like a wide angle in like that kind of like a fishbully kind of stuff. Yeah. We don't, we like to think we see like in a perfect straight flat right. kind of look, but we don't. Things are more warped on the sides, yeah. but we're just so focused on what we're focused on that it looks regular. So that's why they would, I think, use that type of lens. It, it, it enhances the awkwardness of what's going on, in it, but and it kind of helps show and represent the disorientation that Ralphie has at this point because he can't get out 
the Daisy Red Rider BB gun that he wants to. And so Santa suggests a football, which is kind of like the whole you know, thing he says he doesn't yeah, want. Yeah, he doesn't want a stupid fucking football. <laughs> they send him down the slide, and in perfect defiance, he snaps out of it, and he stops himself on the slide, kind of crawls his way back up, tells Santa exactly what he wants. No, no, I want an official Red Rider carbonation. Do you want to get rid of my lay rifle? And Santa, the big man, tells him, You'll shoot your eye out, kid. And so once again, Ralphie is defeated, and Santa just puts his foot <laughs> It is a great shot, though. Yes. Just the foot coming up straight at the camera. Yep, yeah, exactly. Back in the, that point of view shot, and it just kind of taps him down, and he slides down the slide. Yeah, and so we cut to them back at home. It's the night before Christmas. It's Christmas Eve. And they're finishing up putting up the tree, which I'm weird that they only put up the tree. Is putting up the tree the night on Christmas Eve a thing? Just doing it for like that short of a time? I don't know. We put ours up pretty much as soon as Thanksgiving was over. Yeah, yeah. They put up the tree. It's a ridiculous looking tree. It's very fat with tons of tinsel and shit all over it. And it's just kind of wobbly. But it's it's funny. It works well with that family and that dad, I think, in particular. But a fuse goes out and we kind of see, again, more of just the dad being that type of dad funny thing i never i don't think i ever really noticed the colorblind joke in that spot i don't know if you i didn't pick it up pick up on it i just really kind of noticed it this time he's telling the mom oh the, the green light bulbs are out but it's the blue ones and she's like well i think it's the blue ones and he gets the blue ones going he's like see i told you it was the green ones and she she rolls her eyes and i'm like oh ha this guy's a colorblind you know guy who just he's so stubborn he he can't you know, believe that he's wrong. It's little, you know, those little things you pick up on. Mm-hmm. So now it's Christmas morning. There's fresh snow. Ralphie and Randy are so excited. They go downstairs to their presents. Tons of presents under the tree. Very reminiscent of how childhood Christmas's morning, mm-hmm. mornings were. Very funny. Ralphie gets this uh, hideous present from his Aunt Clara. Uh, it's a fantastic bunny suit. And to me, and his mom makes it, puts it on, put it on right then and there. And to me, it's super, again... Super reminiscent of like, you know, your own childhood where you got something that you felt looks stupidly ridiculous. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not to the extent of a bunny suit, but it's a little bit of the hyperbole here from right. for the story. But like you get like a stupid sweater or a stupid hat or something that maybe your aunt or your grandmother made for you. And you're like, this looks awful. And your mom's like, go put it on. I want to take a picture and send it to your grandmother mm-hmm. or something. And it's just like, God damn it. Oh, isn't that Sweet. Ralph, go upstairs and try it on. I don't want to. Go upstairs right now and try on that present. She went to all that trouble to make it. Now go on. They represent that here with this awful bunny suit. And it's just funny. I mean, it's a very short scene. They have have it in and out. But like when I see a kid in that bunny suit, I think of a Christmas story. And I think of that. But I think it's that little moment was meant to represent those stupid stupid moments we all had as a kid where we had to when our parents made us put on shit that we didn't we thought was stupid right but at this point christmas is kind of wound down uh ralphie hasn't gotten the one present that he wanted he thought it's a disappointment but the dad here we go old man parker kind of points out hey wait, there's there's a, another present back there behind the desk Did, do you see that ralphie you should go get it the dad apparently bought ralphie the red rider bb gun mm-hmm. yay it's fantastic Ralphie gets the present that he wants. Uh, he goes outside to play with it. He's all excited about it. And he lines up a shot. Boom. He shoots his eye out. Oh, my God. I shot my eye out. You'll shoot your eye out, kid. You'll shoot your eye out. He gets a little backfire or something. Oh, ricochet. Uh, okay. So it ricochet. It ends up hitting his eye and puts it, takes his glasses off. 
He end up he can't find the glasses. He ends up stepping on them, and he cracks his glasses, which I thought was very funny because he's still obsessed with this gun. You know, he's not going to tell his parents that the gun. Right. <laughs> he has to come up with this story, this whole bullshit story of an icicle falling, and he, you know he whips up his tears and like has this whole story. And I just I found that so truthful, <laughs> so real, and ingenious. Yeah. Good for him. Yeah. And by the way, the, the father said something uh, like, as uh, Ralph was leaving, he's like, What? I had one when I was a kid. That is totally something I would do. Yeah. <laughs> my kid would ask for something, and my wife would be like, No, that's, you'll hurt yourself. And I'd be like, I had one as a kid. I'll get it for you. Yeah, exactly. I mean, <laughs> totally something I, I would I do. kind of agree with the dad on there, too. It's like, <laughs> I think the dad should have supervised him and gone out and shown him how to yeah. use it. That would have been the parent, parental thing to do, not just leave the kid, you know, leave the kid to his own device, but. Uh, also, at this moment, we had a little bit of setup way earlier about the neighbor's dogs. The neighbor has a shit ton of dogs. And I think because they walked in and didn't shut the door, these neighbor's dogs come barging in and they destroy and eat the whole turkey <laughs> and all this kind of the, their Christmas which dinner. they make a point to say that the dad is like a turkey-holic, mm-hmm. which I don't understand. I to turkey. <laughs> That's not true. I don't hate turkey. I hate that turkey is the only thing people seem to think we need to eat during the holidays. I get so sick. And we didn't we didn't grow up with turkey though. We grew up with ham. Yeah. Ham was like our mother never really went out of her way to make a turkey, but we we more often than not, and I'd say even like on Thanksgiving, we had ham more than we had turkey. Yeah. I don't mind turkey. It's just a in the ass yeah. to cook and I don't yeah. like doing it. Yeah, I like turkey just I like I like a big old I go to like Disneyland or a fair. I, I love a good old turkey, turkey leg. Turkey smoked turkey leg. Yeah. I will eat the <laughs> shit out of that. Yes. But, but yeah, but for, then I don't have to be the one who cooked it. So. Yeah, true. <laughs> uh yeah, but for our holidays, we weren't a big turkey family. Yeah, we were definitely we were definitely the, a ham family. Honey baked ham. <laughs> and we just didn't really cook, we just had to really eat. So <laughs> that's all right. That's easy. But instead they go to uh, a Chinese place for dinner, and we get a scene that would not doesn't really fly today. You know, it's a little bit cringy. Oh my gosh, it was so racist. Yeah, very racist, very cringy in today's society where the people singing can't say fa la 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 la. They go fa ra 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 ra. Uh, and stuff like that but there is I mean there's at least a they kind of address it there is another the Chinese owner or something yeah, is like, like no 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 you're singing it wrong say yeah. it la 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 I mean at the time it was funny and yeah I, I've chuckled plenty of times at that kind of stuff but you know yeah. in our more grown up society nowadays you realize it's not as funny as it once was yeah uh, and they wouldn't would never have a, that kind of a scene no. today I do like that they get what Ralphie calls a Chinese turkey but it was a Peking duck I it think Peking duck with a whole and actually yeah. They did not tell the mother that the duck was going to have the head on it. So her reaction is her actual reaction to seeing nice. the baking duck with the head still on it. Yeah, and the the guy chops the head off. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. And then the movie ends with Ralphie in bed. He's clutching his Red Rider BB gun. And that's the end of the story of Ralphie getting the greatest Christmas present ever. I do feel that the film kind of ends in a very nonchalant way. There's like really no good wrap up. You know, they just kind of go to their dinner and then he's in bed with the gun you know he he did shoot his eye out the last time he used the gun is he gonna shoot it out again right like i don't get enough closure really because that's why i I never really remember the end of this movie i remember tons of the other stories and the little bits and like those the little the flagpole scene the santa scene the bunny uh suit scene like all of those little spots but like 
I never really remember the wrap-up of this film. And it's like, I remember, yeah, those little spots, but I don't remember this film as a whole because yeah. the overarching story of the gun, you don't get too much closure other than no. he got it. <laughs> so, so like, as a cohesive storyline, the movie is, isn't, you know, fantastic. But when it comes to, like, little bits and little pieces, I think the movie holds up pretty well. Um, yeah, so I'm just going yeah, into my kind of final thoughts. I think it's not a perfect film. And as I get older, you know, it's not as hilarious and cute as I used to think it was when I was younger but I do still quite like it and re-watching it I did still find it enjoyable and it definitely hit you know those nostalgic moments for me you know and, and, and the way I put it I'll, I do connect with Ralphie quite a bit I, and and I probably still connect with him as an adult because you're getting that adult narration mm-hmm. you know and so I connect with the narrator as an adult, I connect with Ralphie thinking about myself as a kid. And so I do think the film definitely stands the test of time. And I can see why it's been on loop for 24 hours for 20, over 20 years now, mm-hmm. you know, every, every year. So yeah, I, I'm quite happy with this film. And honestly, I was not thinking that we were going to go into such in-depth talks <laughs> about parenting and right. other shit. I didn't think this film was going to kind of like have us do that, but it did. And that kind of made me happy. And so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, this, this film gets a thumbs up from me. I'm going to recommend people to kind of go back and watch it. As an adult, I think it still mainly holds up. It's got some cringy spots, some like very 80s things like the stereotypical Chinese restaurant. But in general, I think the film is pretty fucking good. I hate this film. <laughs> oh god. I've never liked this film. I didn't like it when I was a kid. I don't like it now. I it's just What about it? Why? It's so boring to me. <sighs> the story it doesn't go anywhere. Nothing really gets resolved. There are bits and pieces of funny things, but to me I've just never liked this film. I've never liked it. I actually almost didn't watch it in preparation <laughs> for this. That's how much I didn't want to watch it. Holy shit. But uh, my wife was very excited to watch it, so I, I sucked it up for her and went through it. And so well, me and your um, wife can watch it every year, and we'll have a good time, and you can just go off and do your own fucking thing. How about that? Sure. <laughs> so what? I'm shocked. I've, I've never liked it, ever. <sighs> I didn't like it when I was a kid, and I never never liked it. I just never have. It's just the movie goes nowhere for me. I'm sorry. I just didn't like it. <laughs> Damn, because this is—I've been this trying is, to hold back though. I didn't want to. Yeah. I didn't want well, to ruin your enjoyment because I know is, you enjoy yeah. it, and that's fine. This is one of and probably my favorite like Christmas movie, and that's why I bumped stuff out of the way so we can get this, <laughs> so one, get in. this one in. Because I'm like, no, fuck no, I'm not doing another movie. I want a Christmas story. <laughs> God damn it! Wow. And that's okay. fine. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> okay. I uh, hot takes, man. Not a fan. Hot takes. Now we're going to discuss how the Grinch stole Christmas. That wasn't very good, but we're going to talk about how the Grinch stole Christmas, the animated short from 1966. Uh, It's about 25 minutes long total. It's a very Christmas story. It was played all the time, every single year, just over and over again. And so when I think of Christmas shorts, you know, it's with the with the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeers, Mm -hmm. with the Frosty the Snowman's. This one is just constantly in that group. Yeah. Charlie Brown Christmas special. Yeah, exactly. Very much in that that area. This film stars Boris Karloff as our Grinch and our narrator. The Grinch hated Christmas the whole Christmas season. Please don't ask why. No one quite knows the reason. Boris Karloff is very one of the most famous like 
horror classic, you know, universal monsters out there. He was Frankenstein's monster, mm-hmm. very famously. You know, he's up there, you know, with like the, the Lon Chaney's, Bela Lugosi, Vincent Price, and Boris Karloff are the horror masters. Yeah, the godfathers mm-hmm. of the genre. Yes. So he was the only one who was really credited, but there were some other uncredited voices mm-hmm. that I want to say. There's only like really one line from Cindy Lou Who, and that was done by June Foray. taking our Christmas tree? Who is oh. one of the biggest names in animation history. I mean, like, oh, back in the yeah. day. You know, they, I mean, and we only just lost her last year in 2017 yeah. at 99. Yeah, yeah. She and she a, was still working. Hell of a life. Hell of a life. So she's most famously, I think, Rocky from Rocky and Bullwinkle. Yeah. Hi! Glad to see you again. We got some great things on the show today. Well, you ought to know, Bullwinkle. You're in some of them. Other huge characters that she did. She was the granny in, like, all of the Looney Tunes. <laughs> Now I can mail the postcards my class is sending. If there was mm-hmm. like a pretty much almost any female voice from classic Looney Tunes at one point, she was on it. You know, yeah. and it was pretty much her. She's done a ton of things. Yeah, she's a fantastic voice actress and she's she's done a million things. Um, and then not credited is Dallas McKinnon, who does the voice, uh, voice quote unquote, of Max the dog. <laughs> And Dal McKinnon uh, has had quite a few of awesome voices himself. He did both Gumby and Pokey in the, uh, you know, Gumby claymation uh, cartoon, if you will. Hello? Oh, hello, Pokey. Gumby, can you meet me in Western Town right away? Hold on a minute. I'll have to get my father's permission. And then also he was the voice of Archie uh, in the old, in the classic Archie cartoons. Oh, okay. Now, Veronica, cool it, girls. We were thinking of a way to raise some money, Dad. Also not credited. So Boris Karloff didn't do the singing voice for You're a Mean One. He didn't do the singing for Miss <clears throat> You're a Mean One. That was Thurl Ravencroft. You're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. You really are a who has some awesome voices if you check out his body of work. But for me and most people, I think, remember him most as Tony the Tiger. Oh, yeah. There's no denying it. Frosted Flakes have the taste adults have grown to love. They're great. But if you hear his voice, you've you've definitely, or you see, like, different characters he's done. He's done a ton of different things. Mm-hmm. And you've, you've just heard him embedded in a lot of older all over the place and he actually did quite a few voices on disneyland rides and stuff back in the day and you know if you were on if you're on like the pirates of the caribbean you would hear his voice singing and and just a tons of different different things Mm -hmm. but yeah he's he's done a bunch of stuff this film was directed by Chuck Jones. Chuck Jones is another god among animation. <laughs> like when it comes to, he's an animator and director, and he has done a ton of W of uh, you know Warner Brothers cartoons, Looney Tunes kind of stuff. And it shows because the animation style very much seems like you can mm-hmm. see. Okay, that screams Looney Tunes. Mm-hmm. This this one scene screen, you can tell like little things that kind of pop out. You're like, okay. You can definitely see Chuck Jones' sort of directorial yeah. style. Yeah. Um, he also, he created Wile E. Coyote, The Roadrunner, um, Pepe Le Pew, a bunch of others, uh, a huge name in animation. And obviously this film was based on the children's book of the same name written by Dr. Seuss. Mm-hmm. Do you want to mention, a lot of people love 
the Jim Carrey, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, that live action one. And I saw it when I was younger. I can't remember when it came out, but it was like early 2000s or something like that. Right. Very similar as we brought up with Elf. I just, I don't give a fuck about that film. Yeah, I don't either. I, it's just, it, maybe it came when I was a little too old to care about that. And so for me, my Grinch is always going to be this Grinch. I, yes. we, we have a brand new Grinch that came out this year, a new film that stars Benedict Cumberbatch as the Grinch. I didn't see it, but mm-hmm. I did not like his voice as the Grinch. Yeah. I like Benedict Cumberbatch as mm-hmm. an actor, but just I didn't like, I don't know, to me it didn't fit. Yeah, I'm sorry, you did, so the kids didn't want to go see no, it? No, no, they saw it. I just did, okay. I went, they, <laughs> they went at a time when I was doing something else. Okay. Actually, I think they went with um, they went with our mother. Oh, okay. To okay, see nice. it, I think. But yeah, for me, this is always going to be the Grinch. Uh, it always will be. When I think when I think the Grinch, I think of this 1966 animation. Yeah. I, I don't think Jim Carrey. I don't think Benedict Cumberbatch. Obviously. The only thing I like out about that one was was that Cindy Lou Who in in the Jim Carrey one grew up to be like the lead singer of like a hardcore goth <laughs> band, <laughs> goth rock band or something. I don't even, I don't remember that. That was a thing. Oh yeah. As we start the film, it's snowing. We get a song that we hear. There's only really like two songs in this whole movie. <laughs> and we get the Welcome Christmas song sung by the Who's in Whoville. So the Who's are decorating for Christmas. They're all happy and all all awesome. Here we meet the Grinch who is at like the top of this mountain and we see that he has a heart that's two sizes too small. We get a very narrator style and kind of as, as I mentioned earlier, the narrator style works really well because it's so reminiscent of a story being read to us. And that's exactly what this was. This was a Dr. Seuss story that most people got from the book. And so getting a narrator to narrate it for us just brings us back to that part of our life uh, of of being read, and it's just so it works really well on multiple levels, in my opinion. You can progress the story with the narrator very easily, but you also can hit that kind of mentality for for the audience very well. Mm-hmm. We see that the Grinch wants to stop Christmas. Now, his main reasons for stopping Christmas is because he hates that the Whoville kids. And, and everybody are going to be playing with their toys like that later that day or that next day. And they're just, they make so much fucking noise and he hates the noise. Yeah. And so that's really, Which, yeah, I don't blame him for. No, absolutely <laughs> not. Like as you're as watching this older, you're like, I don't blame him. Yeah, exactly. That guy's, he just wants some peace and quiet. <laughs> yeah. All he wants is to be left alone and not, not be overtaken by this shitty ass noise. Cause the stuff that apparently that the who's get are just, big, loud, stupid-ass instruments that, you know, they weren't even, like, playing on beat. They were just, just clanging. Right. And it's really annoying. So, yeah, I I uh, definitely relate to The Grinch a little bit more now than I did as a kid. In this new Grinch, I haven't seen the new Grinch. That film would 100% be easily solved if you just got The Grinch a nice pair of noise-canceling headphones. <laughs> you get him some good bows, you know, put them over his head, get him a smooth melody underneath it. And then boom, he's done. He's just happy on his mountain. He can't hear that shit, so he doesn't have to ruin Christmas. Right. 
That's it. That's the end. Boom. End of this fucking story. I'd be in and out in two minutes. If someone had just given him a, that one Christmas present. Yeah. That, yeah, that's all they do. But those Whovillians are just uh, so selfish. They just want to just sit down there and make all their goddamn noise complaints. But in very Dr. Seussian style... You know, we get a bunch of made-up words, like he's talking about all the different instruments and toys that they're playing with, right. and their fandanglers and bimbidlers or whatever the yeah. hell they are. It's very it's it's made-up words just so they rhyme. Yes, <laughs> that's yeah, that's which a, is very classic Seuss. Yes, um, and he also talks about a big feast that they're going to do and eat, and he hates roast beast that they eat. Doesn't really matter. It's yeah, just just Doctor Seuss. Um, I do want to point out we get a very cute shot of like a little chef uh, who's carrying. A tray and it's almost it's like a russian nesting doll yeah. where he like opens up the first tray and it's another little chef and then it opens yeah. up another one and you get like six or seven of them who then drops off a little apple for cindy lou who and it's cute i mean that shot in particular i just kind of sticks out to me as a cute shot and then the grinch is just kind of bitching about that they all go around this big christmas tree and they sing again making noise that they're just singing around this fucking christmas tree and here we get welcome christmas song again like that one just kind of almost plays on repeat mm-hmm in his mind, he's fed up, and he wants to. He needs to stop Christmas from coming, and so he comes up with an awful, wonderful idea. Literally, the animation here is so good, like it's so classic. That very curling smile of the Grinch, and also that weird kind of thing that happens with his yeah, hair. That part's a little weird. Yeah, a little devious, but I, I like it's very. I mean, that's a when you think Grinch, you think that smile. Mm-hmm. I, I feel, um, and maybe even particularly that shot. And so he wants to impersonate Santa Claus uh, and steal everybody's shit. And here we, we get the first iteration, but we get a, the song also keeps reappearing, which is Your Mean One, Mr. Grinch. You're as cuddly as a cactus. You're as charming as an eel, Mr. Grinch. Easily, I think this is the most memorable part of the entire film, of the, of the short story. It's that song. Whenever I think of Grinch, the first thing that goes into my head is, You're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. Mm-hmm. Like, that's right away. The guy who wrote... Now, Dr. Seuss wrote all the lyrics for okay. all the songs. Um, and I don't remember... I don't really remember if they were from the book or if he made them up specifically for this uh, for this special. But he was credited with writing all the lyrics. But the guy who wrote the actual song uh, is a guy named Albert Haig, who also did some acting. And he's probably best known to kids of our generation as being the psychiatrist in the movie Space Jam. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. I mean, that's not a super memorable. No, but it, super, it, yeah. It's not no, super but for but kids of our age, that that would be the thing that he's yeah. most known for. And he did little acting spouts here or there. Okay. But it's just kind of interesting that uh, he wrote it. Well, I'm sure he got residuals for that song all the fucking time. I, so good for him. That's what he just just write a good song or act in like a, a big role once, and then you just get those residual yep. checks. That's all we need. Yep. So the Grinch makes his suit. And we're just kind of getting, as the song is playing, you know, we get little montages of him making his suit. And he's got this cute-ass little dog, his dog named Max, who is like the sweetest little dog in the world. (laughs) And it's the Grinch's dog, which is crazy. But it also kind of shows, I don't know, to me it shows a little something about, tells me something about the Grinch. You know, he he does like companionship. Why else would he have a dog? Exactly. He's got a little bit of a heart. Yes, yes, it's two sizes too small, but he's got something there. And there's potential. And I think Max 
is the key to that potential. But at the same time, it's like, he's also a jerk to that dog. <laughs> you know, he's, he's an asshole to it. Right. And so it's like, man, I find it kind of interesting why the dog is so nice and sweet and really happy and resilient when, right. <laughs> when the Grinch is an asshole to it. But Grinch doesn't deserve Max, but he does like him. And he must treat him somewhat well because Max sticks around. Yeah. So the Grinch is all Santa Claused up. And he goes down to Whoville as they're sleeping, and he's kind of going down the chimney, getting stuck, but he gets he gets down there, and he starts stealing shit. We get a most memorable, for some reason, most memorable shot I've got is as he's stealing stuff, he has this weird, like, slither around, like, a Christmas tree. Oh, yeah, yeah. That, that one, for some reason, that one shot, like, sticks in my head more than yeah. anything else. Um, and we get the return of the song, You're a Mean One, Mr. Grinch, as he's stealing shit. It's just kind of like a montage of stealing everybody's shit. He ends up taking everything. The big tree, he takes their feast, everything. Um, but at this point, little Cindy Lou Who is woken up from an ornament that kind of runs, rolls up against her bed. Uh, and she goes up to Sandy Claus and she asks, Why, Sandy Claus? Why are you taking the tree? Smart Grinch kind of lies to her, says it's got some busted up lights and he's going to take it back and to fix it. Just kind of clever, uh, but he ends up kind of continuing with his thievery. The song continues, and honestly, as they're doing their montage, they reuse a lot of the same shots <laughs> over and over again. It's, mm-hmm. I mean, that's kind of a classic animation that they kind of do that. Uh, it's fine. I recognize that a little bit more as an adult than I did as a kid, that they reused shots, but not really a big deal for me. And then come dawn, the Grinch is like all excited. He's like, I stole all their shit. They are not going to be happy anymore. They're going to realize that Christmas is fucked because I took their material goods. But at this point, everyone in Whoville still comes back all around and they sing together their... I always thought it was... Abu Dhabi, you know, <laughs> you know, Abu Dhabi, but it's not whatever the hell they're no, saying. It's, it's like Fahu Foray. Yeah, Fahu Foray. Like it's, it's supposed to mimic Latin. Okay. And I always sang it to myself, Abu Dhabi. <laughs> I always did. Uh, Fahu Forays. That's okay. what they're saying. Nah, I like Abu Dhabi better. <laughs> <laughs> And it confuses the Grinch, and he's all like, what the fuck's going on? You know, these people are still happy, and they're still cheerful that it's Christmas, even without their damn presence. This doesn't make any sense. And then at that point, the Grinch realizes uh, that Christmas doesn't come from a store. It's not material, John. Uh, it means a little bit more. At that point, you know, the presents are about to fall, and his he's kind of getting his mind changed. and like, oh, shit, these people deserve their presents because they don't care about material goods so much. It's, right. it's, it's an okay thing to give them their presents. And he has to save the presents that are about to fall off the mountain, and he gets them, and this is where his heart grows three sizes that day. Uh, so now he has an enlarged heart, which is not good for you. No. No, he's probably going to die. <laughs> um, but he gets enough strength to lift up the presents, and... He goes down and he gives all the presents back to the Whovillians and he feeds them, you know, he's like their guest of honor at the feast and is carving the roast beast. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's pretty much the end of the story. I mean, this is a very, I mean, it plays like a quick little book. You know, it's a very kids, there's not, there's not much depth going on in here. It's just kind of like wham, bam, going through. It's, uh, it's cute, you know, as a, it's a kid story. It's a very cute little thing. One thing that they didn't discuss, which I'm super curious about, which was the main reason he was so pissed off was because of the noise. Right. Not because of the meaning of Christmas. It was because of the fucking noise. Right. Did the Whovillians, did they go out? 
and like play their loud instruments and did that end up pissing him off again? We don't know. We don't get that. We just end the story with him like carving the roast beast at the end, but we have no idea, you know, what was the wrap up? He didn't feel like it was okay that they were still being loud. I don't know. Maybe he's better with it. Maybe it made him snap. And then right after that, he killed everybody because <laughs> he realized that the noises were too fucking much. And right. so he took that carving knife and stabbed every fucking who in Whoville uh, until they bled out. I don't know. <laughs> um, I'm so curious. But the the short story is cute. You know, yeah. it's <laughs> it's fine. It's very Dr. Seussian. Yes. Yeah. Uh, as an adult, I don't give a fuck about this. I'm not going to really rewatch this again unless it becomes like a thing with kids. Like yeah. if a kid wants to watch it, I will gladly sit. It's 25 minutes long. It's the length of one TV show. It doesn't bother me. It's cute enough that I can sit with it and just kind of like sing along or just kind of enjoy it. The animation is solid. It, it's not amazing animation, but it's not bad i mean it's yeah. kind of like classic looney tune style animation but right. it still holds up pretty good yeah i don't yeah. mind this one at all i'm you know it, again it's short and, and it moves pretty fast and you know it's classic i like the music for it yeah. um the only there's only two songs yeah but but the, the but they're fine yeah they're fine it, again yeah i really only would go back and watch this with with kids and it's kind of funny you said that the last uh holiday episode we did we talked about the rudolph the red-nosed reindeer one mm-hmm. um and kind of picked that one apart yeah a little bit we but, ran through this one very fast i know but well that one was also longer it was, it was like 50 something minutes yeah it was like a whole hour there was, there was a but, lot more storylines going on with that one too yeah this one was much very straightforward to that point last year i made my kids watch that one in preparation for that i didn't for this one when this year came around my daughter remembered it and made us buy it so that she could watch it <laughs> Oh, okay. so which I thought was weird. I didn't know she liked it that much. Yeah. Maybe she just maybe it's just a new thing. I don't know. Yeah, I did not like that one all that much. No. I remember, but for this one, I really enjoyed it. And you know, if my kids want to want wanted to sit down and watch it, I would totally do that with them. I would totally do that with them as well, John. This episode of the Blast from Our Past podcast is brought to you by Coca Cola. Santa Bats are coming, Santa Bats are coming, Santa Bats are coming, Santa Bats are coming to your town. Watch out, look around, cause we're coming, 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 And now we're going to do the casting portion of the show. We're going to be recasting a Christmas story using modern actors. We're only going to do about five characters. For this one, we're going to do Ralphie, Scut Farkas, the mother, the father, and the adult narrator. Uh, let's go ahead and jump in and start with Ralphie. Adam, why don't you start us off? Kid castings are tough. Um, they're, they're always just, for me, notoriously one of the most difficult things. I don't watch enough kids shows to be like, oh yeah, I want that kid in this role uh so it's it's me usually just on google being like who are the best kid actors today (laughs) uh and just running through random mostly seeing like uh lists that are from like 2011 or something like oh they're all like 30 years old now or 20 years (laughs) old i can't cast them as this 10 year old boy right i kind of cheated on this one this was this is i did a very bullshitty thing Because I found out that they did a Christmas story live. Like nowadays, they're doing all these live things. Like they're yeah. like, like all of the networks are doing like, oh, we're taking like a, a play or whatever. And we're just going to, we're going to do a movie, but as a play, but film it live and live put it up. On, yeah. So what I did was 
I took the kid who played Ralphie <laughs> from that, which, which was just last year. So I know he's in the right age range. I right. know he can do it. Yeah. Uh, so I went ahead and I cast Andy Walken, who is also in a TV show right now called The Kids Are All Right. But more, most importantly, he played Ralphie <laughs> in A Christmas Story Live, which is more of a play and not really the movie. So I'm going to I'm gonna accept it and I don't give a fuck what you say. Uh, <laughs> I'm casting him as my Ralphie because one proof of concept he already did it owned <laughs> fine yeah so I went with uh, an actor might be a little bit more well known at least he's on a more well known TV show or actually not really a TV show it's actually a Netflix show anytime we have a kid casting this is one of the shows I just go to because Stranger Things <laughs> yep Stranger Things yeah. uh, so for my Ralphie I went with Noah Schnapp Noah Schnapp yeah he plays Will he's good I think of him a lot of the times when yeah. I think of a good, strong kid actor, and I definitely know he could do it. And he's a big name right now because of Stranger Things. So he would mm-hmm. actually probably draw quite a bit of people to a, a new version if they did it. So I think that's solid. Okay, cool. All right, so let's let's jump uh, ahead to Scott Farkas. This one I'll jump in with. I had a very hard time with this one just because the image of Scott Farkas is so uh, <laughs> unique and distinctive. Yeah. I couldn't really find anyone that was similar to that or really unique enough. So I ended up finding an actor who was in a movie a few years ago where he kind of played a little kid, but in the years since, he's kind of grown up a little bit. Mm-hmm. It was only a few, about two or three years ago, but, you know, kids change really fast. Mm-hmm. And the pictures that I saw of him a little bit you know three years older than he was so he's probably about 13 or 14 now make him look a little not hardened that's a horrible thing to say <laughs> he just he looks a little older okay i think plays a, well scott fargus definitely was looked older than the other yeah. kids you could tell he was probably held back yeah. because you know his life was tough john he didn't get that education <laughs> and he was from the wrong side of the tracks yeah so so the last time I saw this kid, he actually was playing sort of the innocent one, not the meaner one of the the two. Uh, I went with the actor Ty Simpkins, who was one of the brothers yeah. on uh, Jurassic Park. Or mm-hmm. sorry, Jurassic, Jurassic World. World. Yeah, he was one of my least favorite parts of a movie that I didn't care for in general. <laughs> I hated the kids in uh, Jurassic World, particularly probably Ty Simpkins, because um, he was just a whiny bitch. But the thing is, when you go back and watch the original original Jurassic Park, the kids are some of the most annoying parts <laughs> in that movie too. <laughs> But it's okay, uh, and I don't I don't dislike this casting at all. Okay. I think this works. I don't not, not that I hate this casting. I was just more of like you, you that, didn't like that movie. I didn't like that movie. You're making me think of Jurassic World, and I don't <laughs> care for it. But I think that's probably not a bad casting. He is probably yeah. He's he's probably around the age, probably similar to the casting that I did. But yeah, I think that was solid. He could probably play it. I didn't focus on the look of Scott Farkas all that much. I went very different. I didn't go ginger at all. Um, I went with someone who I think could play a bully pretty well because he was kind of a bully in the film that I saw him in, which is Deadpool 2. He played the main kid in Deadpool 2, which is named Firefist. Uh, his name is Julian Dennison. Yeah. So he's a little larger kid, but you could totally, I could totally see him being like a school bully. Yeah. He's he's a little bit older than I probably would think, but I'd, I'd have to try and hope that Hollywood could... Uh, you know, use some makeup and just like the way that they shoot it, that he's not, he doesn't look too super older than Ralphie. Yeah. But like, so that's my only issue with that one, but he's definitely like a larger kid and he totally could be a bully. That's all right. I'm not going to, I'm not going to ding you on that because I ended up casting the parents a little bit older. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, okay. So we might be in the same thing. Speaking of the parents, uh, we'll go ahead and do the mother and I'll jump in with this one. And, and this was, this was one where I think I probably cast a little too old, but for some reason, the mother reminded me of this actress yeah. and so i just kind of was like well 
they can make her look younger. So I mean, you don't have to, you know. I'm not talking like, you know, yeah, just, my, just a makeup. You don't, yeah. you don't have to do like a CG. No, 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 no <laughs> Sam Jackson and Captain Marvel. You know, yeah, just you know, a little one. Um, I actually went with Michelle Pfeiffer. Okay, she kind of looks like like that mother did. I mean, yeah, she's a little older. He's, she's definitely more of a grandma now. I don't know. I mean, I I lean a little old. That's a little too old, but. She's got the look. I'm sure she could do it. So I don't. I don't love it. I don't love it just because of the age. Yeah. So let me just make sure my casting is younger than. Ours. <laughs> Whoopsie. Mine was born in '61. '58. She's only three. <laughs> okay. So I just looked up, John. My actress is only three years younger than yours, so it's really not much different. Uh, oh well. <laughs> so you know what. Michelle Fiverr is a fantastic <laughs> casting. Uh, my actress, I went kind of with, uh, I went to the sitcom route. Mm. And so I went to uh, the sitcom that I think is pretty decent. Uh, I, I don't love it, but it's not bad. I went, it's called Last Man Standing uh, mm. with Tim Allen. And so I went with the mother in that show, which honestly, I think they do. Yeah, the kids and the, their kids in that show are like much older, and I think they, she might even be a grandmother on that right. show. So shit, I don't know why I thought of that. I should have gotten younger, but whatever. It's too late now. Yeah. Um, I went with Nancy Travis from Last Man Standing. We probably remember her best though as the female lead in So I Married an yeah. Axe Murderer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. No, I actually don't. I don't, I like that choice. Yeah. Well, ours I, are actually much more similar than I thought. <laughs> so oh yeah, both of them. <laughs> Decent, decent job. <laughs> All right. All right. To the father, I will... I'll let you take start this okay. one first. Um, I was almost... I honest, honestly even almost thought of potentially Tim Allen just because I thought of Last Man Standing and right. also Home Improvement. Right. Very kind of like Mr. Fixity kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but I ended up going with a different sitcom actor. He's... Well, he is probably... Oh, he, he reminds me like look-wise quite a bit of... Uh, the actor in the original film. Mm-hmm. He might be too old, but he probably fits well with our female <laughs> castings. And because of his work in Malcolm in the Middle, I think he reminds me of a lot of this actor. I went with Brian Cranston. Mm-hmm. I think he would be uh, pretty perfect. So when, um, when we're watching this, my wife and I were watching this, and I, I'm going to give my wife credit for giving me this idea. She goes, oh, this... The father reminds me of his character. I'm like, who? And she told it to me. I was like, oh, that's exactly who wrote it. She goes, it reminds me of Hammond Druthers from How I Met Your Mother, played by Brian Cranston. Uh. And that's who I picked. <laughs> nice. Brian Cranston, because he, the father kind of seemed that way. And Brian Cranston is older, but I don't think he looks any older than the guy who yeah. played the father in that. Agreed. So... Good job on everyone. Hey, all right. I didn't know if we would have a, a comment, especially on something so short with only yeah. this many people. But yeah, I think Brian Cranston would be the perfect fit. Yeah, definitely. For this sort of thing. All right, and that uh, ends us with our last one, which is the narrator. Adam, do you want to go first or do you want to go second on this one? I'll go first. Okay. Uh, this one was probably my toughest casting, honestly. I had a, just a bunch of different names, and I was thinking more comical mm-hmm. people. And so I had a, I had a good bit, but... Ultimately, when I thought about it, I needed someone with a good voice yeah, because yeah. it's a narration role. You don't really see them at all. And so it's all about their voice. I wanted someone who I know has a good voice. They almost specifically do voices so they could find a voice for this. And I think they, they're they very comedic. They're a little bit more over-the-top humor. But for this role, I think they would be just fine. You've cast him in something else. I can't remember what it was. But I think he would be a very good narrator. I went with Seth MacFarlane 
as my narrator. You know what? I I considered him. Mm -hmm. I considered him. That was a that was a. I had a very short list of of maybe like three people, and he Mm -hmm. was definitely on it. Nice. So I I think he has he does have whatever you think of his comedy. Yeah. He has a great narrator voice and a great acting voice. Definitely. And I really think that that would work well also with the retelling of of this story yeah so yeah i i kind of had a him on my short list um i actually did have benedict cumberbatch on there because i've heard his american accent it's not bad mm-hmm. but i he was sort of the last one on my list and i ended up going up i'd want him to do it as his smog voice <laughs> <laughs> smog you'll shoot your eye <laughs> so uh i ended up going with uh, an actor who I think does have a good narrator voice. I don't think I've cast him in anything yet, which I don't know if it's that surprising. I think you have cast him in something. I cannot remember what, though. Mm-hmm. But he does have a great voice. It would be perfect for this. And it would be... I mean, we've already got some big names in here, you know, with the Brian Cranston and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And this would kind of help a little bit. But I actually went with Alec Baldwin. Oh! The narrator. I think yeah. he has a good narration voice. He's done plenty of narration, yeah. And he, he did voice acting as, like, the boss baby. Right. And that kind of stuff. He is a pretty good narrator. That's I, I kind of like that call. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not bad. He's 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 doing more and more of that kind of stuff now. Right. Uh, and so I think that's solid. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. Nicely done. Good picks all around. Um, especially for a movie I don't care for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Would you? So I mean, we have similar enough castings. Honestly, right. would you watch it if with our with our casts? What do you think? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, I'd give it a shot. <laughs> give it a shot. My issues with the movie, I think, are largely. The writing and production, not necessarily <laughs> okay. the acting per se. Okay. But the problem with reca- redoing something like this is if you changed anything about it, people would bitch and moan. Oh, complain, yeah. So. But yeah, that was our recasting for A Christmas Story. Please join us next time for another album review episode. John and I talk about the album No Time to Kill by country artist Clint Black. If you have any suggestions for movies or TV shows from your childhood, you can reach us at blastfromourpast at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at at blastpastcast. So until next time, I'm John. And I'm Adam. And thanks for joining us. See you next time.